Hey everyone, and welcome back to Country Music Made Me. Thank you so much for joining us once again. If you haven't already, please be sure to check out our new website, countrymusicmademe.com. There you can listen to all of our episodes, you can learn more about the podcast, and you can sign up for our newsletter so you can stay up to date on all the exciting episodes that we have coming up in the future. Today, we're excited to be joined by Ali Colleen. Now, she grew up in small town Oklahoma where sports was a focus. But from a young age, her passion was music. And it's something that has driven her journey ever since. In 2018, she graduated from Belmont University in Nashville. In 2019, she released her debut single. And in 2021, she released her debut album, Stones. Now, it actually came out as a physical CD a few months before it went to streaming. So doing things a little bit differently. So please enjoy our conversation with Ali Colleen. Was music something that caught your attention at first or was it more the performance side that really pulled you in at first or was it a mix of both? So for me as a kid, I started as soon as I could you know, read and write. And I did, and I, I really enjoyed school as a kid. I really enjoyed, you know, the structure of it and um, the time schedule and things like that. I think it really helped me as a kid. And so I just dove into poetry really early on and just loved it. And I always found that I wasn't ever very confident. Um, and I don't know that I noticed this then, but I was right. never very confident in like explaining my emotions and explaining how I felt. And I always had so many emotions, you know what I mean? Like, I just felt like as a kid, I had such a big reaction to everything. And I felt so many things on different levels and I didn't really know what to do about it. And I'm so grateful um, that I did have somebody in my life that was doing music. And it's so funny. I have such a big pride and it's such a big ego when it comes to my career and what I've accomplished on my own and all of those things. And everyone's always you know, assuming that any part of my career came from anyone else in my family that did music. And I've always said that was never the case. But the more I think about it as an adult, I don't know that I would have went to that outlet if I didn't see somebody else presently using it. You know what I mean? Yeah. But all that to say, I just fell in love with poetry really early on. And so for me, it was actually the other side of all of it to me. I think it was just, wow, here's really three minutes of how I feel masked by some wonky story that no one's actually going to connect with my life opposed to me taking those emotions to my parents or to my sisters or even to my journal, you know? And, right. and so for me, it was the opposite side. It was just that, just the amazing emotional, you know, outlet that that writing has. And it, it, it stuck with just writing for a long time. And then eventually it grew into, can I add a melody to this? You know? Right. And so the feelings that you had through music, did those change and sort of flow in different seasons of your life as you grew up and sort of had different impacts on you as you grew? Absolutely. Um, I think there was, you know, there was a season where it was, oh, you sing? Oh, you do music? You know, there was that attention season of like, oh, wow, this is something that when I do it, people notice me, you right. know, and not only notice me, but they're seeing me. They're not looking at the people I'm standing next to. They're seeing me. That was a really big deal for me. Um, and then I think it grew into, and maybe it stemmed from that. Um, all women, I assume men feel the same way. You guys just don't say it. So insecure, like have such a battle with finding, you know, just like security in yourself, especially when we're always looking outward, you know, yes. and then taking that inward. It's like, well, I don't look like that. So should I feel like that? Should I feel confident? Whatever. I've always felt just so pretty when I sing. And and that's something that I've always struggled with in, in any other way. You know, I've, I've avoided mirrors for a long time growing up, you know, just silly girl stuff and silly insecure stuff that it, it right. really is serious. But at the same point in time, once you, once you kind of get past it, you really do realize not in a sensitive way, it's silly. Like you're a, you're a human, you're a working body. You're perfect. You know what I mean? Like no matter who you are, what you look like, you really are. So I think that was really cushioning that, you know, season of growing up for me and those insecurities was I could sing and I felt really, really pretty. And then I think it went into, a, you know, more of a thing. And for now it's, it's, it's a work stage for me. Like I really love the grind of like finding out 
what boundaries we can push in the writing room, you know, and what boundaries we can push melody wise. It still keeps it genre specific because in a sense that is still important to some people. And then in the other sense, it's not. And everyone just wants an experience with music, you know, and I think that's a huge generational thing also to figure out. So it definitely has taken on a lot of different lifelines. And has it always been country music for you? Or were there times where different genres growing up were influencing you more? I don't know that I settled in. I don't know that it's even been country until I felt the pressure to choose more of a genre-based lifeline as a business. You know, because right. when I was a kid, my my family didn't really listen to a lot of country music growing up. Um, my you know, my dad always listened to uh, a lot of Queen and a lot of Kansas and a lot of Kiss. And um, his two country people that he brought in for me was Randy Travis and uh, James Taylor. And then also Keith Whitley that my bonus mom brought in. And then my mama was over here listening to Michael Jackson and Cher and anything that she knew wasn't going to be on country radio. <laughs> I assume you understand. And yes. so we didn't have a lot of like country music going on in my house. Um, I remember maybe an Easter gift. My grandma gave me a Sugarland CD and I was like, this is pretty cool. She <laughs> sounds interesting. Let's try this, you know? And, but one thing that's always been so occurrent for me with country music was storytelling. Yes. So as much as I loved those Evanescence melodies and all the Paramore stuff, and fell in love with Nickelback, dude. I'm a huge Nickelback fan, <laughs> and I will shout it from the rooftops, okay? I will. And, like, love, love, love alternative music, and I love R&B music. I was such a big Mariah Carey and, like, Sierra fan and, like, Destiny's Child fan growing up. So it really wasn't until I came to Nashville and I really decided that I wanted to do music where I was, like, I wrote story songs my whole life, and I wrote them with a guitar. So by default, they sound country you know, and country has also allowed so much room, you know, in the last, you know, five, 10 years to really experiment with sounds that for me, country music is about storytelling. So I don't mind bringing my pop, you know, melodies or my alternative melodies or a really clean country melody to stuff. Um, But for me, it's all about storytelling. And that's where country music comes in for me. That's awesome. And you mentioned your grandma getting you the Sugarland CD. Now, I don't know if that was your grandma, Colleen, but I wanted to ask you about her because that's who you're named after. And I saw you talk about the fact that she was also a singer when she was younger. And so I wanted to t- ask you about sort of the inspiration that you took from her growing up and what she has meant for your journey. So Colleen um, is my dad's mom. And uh, she was Colleen Carroll and she um, was really, really sick when I was a kid. So she passed away when I was three. So I don't really have a lifeline. I don't have an actual lifeline with Colleen and it's so silly. I don't know if you've seen Moana, um, but you know how like her grandma passes away, but just stays with her forever. That's literally how I feel like my, like Colleen has been for me. And my dad always calls me Miss Colleen. He has since I was a kid and he just, he says that I'm his mom. He just says we're the exact same person. We're so spunky. We do music, all that stuff. And I did find out, you know, as I got older that she did music too. And that she was on a full record label. And um, the story of that my grandpa always told, who knows if it's true and who cares, you know, was that he walked in the bar, um, you know, off deployment and saw her singing and was like, I'm going to marry her. And that again, I think just fed into how beautiful I feel when I sing and just how confident she was. And then also in my family, you know, my name is Allie Colleen Brooks. And so we, we, we always joke that I just chose the better singer to sing after because it's (laughs) Colleen. It's it's my grandma and my dad will sit there and be like, you're right. She's perfect. And so that's, so Colleen has always just kind of been like this almost guardian angel for me. I felt like, you know, we didn't actually have like a personal relationship in the sense that I didn't get the chance. Um, But my mom's mom, Pat, gave me my Sugarland CD. And so oh, her and my okay. grandpa are still living and uh, my dad's parents have passed on. And so my mom's parents are still here and they've always supported me. My grandma, Pat would always come to the little restaurant that I waitressed and sang at growing up. And she would clap at people until they would clap for me. <laughs> so Pat's always got my back. My grandma's the best. 
<laughs> that is awesome. And so what yeah. age were you when you started playing out, when you started playing in that restaurant? Was that the first place that you sort of played out in? I would say in the sense of like having a guitar and like doing a set and like learning those kinds of things. But when I was, so I started learning guitar when I was probably around 14. Um, my parents got me one when I was probably like nine or 10 and I just stared at it for a long time. You know, I was like, that's cool, but I can sing and someone else can play guitar in the world. So we'll just figure that out. Right. Day. Yeah. Um, and then I saw a female play an instrument and sing at the same, same time. And I was like, okay, I'm going to learn to do that. Cause that looks really cool. And, and, and it was really empowering. So I learned guitar a little later, but all of that to say, I walked into a Chick-fil-A around Christmas time back home in Oklahoma when I was maybe eighth grade, maybe a freshman in high school. And they were singing Christmas carols. And then they were also singing like pop songs and whatever they wanted. And I was like, that's super weird. I want to do that. <laughs> so I walked over to him and I was like, what are you guys doing and why? And they were a part of this beautiful little vocal studio, you know, called Karis Music in my hometown. And I, and what Jamie, the owner, what her intention was, was to just take kids that like to sing and put them in every single circumstance ever. So oh, you're going to really? sing a Chick-fil-A, you know, you're going to sing in the mall food court. You're going to do the anthem at the rodeo. You're going to go and you're going to do a concert hall twice a year where all of your family comes and you have to actually perform, you know, so you learn to be background music. You learn to be the star. You learn to do all those things. And right. I thought that that was so encouraging and so challenging and so exciting. So I sang in malls growing up. I worked at a cherry berry, like a frozen custard place. And I would sing there also. But um, <laughs> when I could find, but when I was 16 and 17, I waitressed at a barbecue shop. And that was the first time that I was hired to play music. And so oh, I would waitress okay. all week and then I would play on the weekends um, for three hours. And I started at 60 bucks and then I ended up, you know, every, my pay would just go up and up and up and it was really challenging and it was really awesome and it was really exciting. But I'll have to say some nights, I was the star of the barbecue shop and some nights people just wanted barbecue. You know what I mean? And right, I learned the yeah. difference, but it was on those nights that grandma would really just look at your table until <laughs> you clapped at the end of my song. And I was like, grandma, their, their hands are busy. They're eating ribs, like leave them alone. And she's yeah. like, they need to clap for you. So I've always had a lot of support from my family. That is awesome. And throughout that time, like you talked about that feeling on stage of being beautiful and just sort of it being a different feeling from what you were feeling in life back then. And so the first time you stepped on stage, did you have that feeling? Was it an aha moment, like right away of, holy cow, like this is so amazing. I think it was, but it wasn't like immediate. It wasn't in the sense of I stood on the stage, I saw the people, the lights were on and I was like, here I am, you're welcome. <laughs> right. No, that wasn't it. I wish it was. It was maybe I screwed up, actually. I don't know about this. And then it was, girl, you're already here. Shut your eyes and sing. And so that's what I did. And then at one point I opened one, you know what I mean? And the response is just so kind. And I think part of that is also being a child, you know, like, like no one's going to sit here and watch me sing like this when I'm 12. You know what I mean? They're yeah. going to be there and be encouraging. But at the same point in time, I think that was just enough cushion for me to step into, you know, no, they really like they're really enjoying this song. You know, maybe I should move around a little bit also, you know, and it was just really encouraging. And I think doing it as young as I was doing it um, and in such a small community that I grew up in, you know, was very encouraging. So it wasn't immediate, but it was always there. You know, the, the affirmation was there. And I, 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 I wonder if it wasn't, if I would have stuck with it because I am naturally a very insecure person. Um, but now, yeah, I, I, my, the ticket sales, everything, even if it's two sets me up for that. I know before I go on stage, if someone there came for me, let's go. Like, I'm going right. to give you whatever you came for, even if it's just you and me, man, and no one else cares. We'll do it. Let's go. That's awesome. And you talk about those insecurities. Now I heard you talk about the fact that you were the only weird music kid in your town. <laughs> it was more of a sports environment growing up. And so how did that sort of work in the fact that you felt so alive on stage, but then off the stage, was it a different feeling of feeling alone? I don't know that I ever felt 
alone or insecure in it, but I definitely felt there's no point in even talking about it. I'm going to go do it. And one day you guys are going to see that I went and did that, you know, because like when I did talk about moving to Nashville, as soon as I graduated high school, when I went on college tours in Nashville as a freshman in high school, everybody was kind of like, what are you doing? You know, and there's a couple of the calm downs and there was a couple of the, what if you can't even do it? There's a couple of those things. But again, I have such a blessing looking back that I didn't have parents that could look at me and tell me my dream was unreasonable right? that, that it was something that couldn't, you know, be done or that it was something that other people do, which was something that a lot of kids in my town experienced. I've, I've told this story before and I think sometimes people think I'm holding on to something I should let go, but I'm more just, I want children to understand that they can literally do anything. And when I was in fourth or fifth grade, I got the opportunity to sing at chapel. I went to a Baptist school and we had chapel on Thursdays and I had the opportunity to sing. And so I did. And my whole class was just, you know, so kind and so supportive and, and kind of blown away because I'd never really sang for them, but they knew I could sing. And anyway, I met this sweet girl that day in my class who was like, I love that you sing. I love to sing. And I was like, that's so cool. I'm going to grow up and sing. I'm going to do this for the rest of my life. This is what I want to do. And she goes, what do you mean? And I go, well, you know, like people on the radio. She goes, yeah, I go, I'm, that's going to be me. I'm going to do that. And I think she never thought that that was a thing. I think she thought people on the radio were just a different kind of people. You right. know, like they weren't kids at one point in a class. And I remember being in pickup line with her that day. And her mom walked in and she goes, mom, Allie sang at chapel today. And she's going to like be a singer. I want to be a singer. And in fourth, fifth grade, her mom looked at her and goes, well, Allie can be a singer. Her parents are singers. She can be a singer. I don't know if we can be, if you can be a singer. And just so lightheartedly told her that, grabbed her hand and walked her out the door. And to this day, I'm like, Madison didn't go be a singer. And I, I'm not going to say it's her mom's, it's her mom's fault or that she was deterred from it, but like she wanted to be a singer and it never crossed her mind that she could do that. Right. And so I think, I think that that was a huge thing for me in my hometown was just when I learned that as much as it encouraged me, encourages me now to feed into children and to feed into youth education and stuff like that. At the time, it really did just kick me in the face. And I was like, wow, she's right. Maybe I wouldn't be a singer if my parents weren't singers. And like literally planted that huge insecurity seed that I fight to this day. Like I said, my ego, my pride, whatever it is, it fills up a room. Like I will make sure that I know she was wrong. And, and in a sense, I've done that and I'm very proud of it. But that was really the, the thing that affected me, I think, most in my town was just people's reflections of me in that way that, oh, yeah, no one ever told me I couldn't do it. But they would just tell me like, oh, yeah, you're going to do it. Like, it didn't even matter anything that I did. It was like, yeah, if you want to do that, you'll probably go do it. And I was like, but I can do it. So then I just shut up at that point and just was like, well, you'll just see one day that I'm going to go do it. That's awesome. And when did Belmont come into the picture and why? Like I heard you talk about, I think it was the eighth grade when you told your parents, (laughs) I'm going to Belmont. And so Mm -hmm. what was it about Belmont? Like, was it because of sort of the songwriting and thinking I want to be a songwriter and that's why I want to go to Belmont or was it more that it was in Nashville or what was your feeling back then of why you were so adamant that you were going to Belmont around that time my parents had fine and again I told you you know eight years old I started being really creative and started writing songs yeah um now I didn't have a full guitar melody song until about 15 you know because again I didn't learn until then But I think it was once I grabbed the guitar and wrote the first song, my parents were kind of like, crap, like she's got the bug and she's not going to stop. And as encouraging as they were, they know how hard this industry is. And especially my bonus mom, I think as a woman was equally as excited for me and equally as, you know, this is going to be really hard. Um, And, you know, my parents also saw it for what it was, whereas everyone else saw it as, oh, if Allie wants to be a singer, she'll be a singer. My parents were like, this is going to, we're probably going to be the biggest battle that you have. <laughs> right. So I'm really sorry about that. Um, and so all of that to say, eighth grade, you know, my dad sat me down and he was already like, all right, listen, bro, you have to get a degree. Like, I want you to understand that that is the plan, you know, going forward when you're, cause he knows I'm a planner and, 
I was so excited about singing and I already had talked about going to Nashville as soon as I was out of high school and all these things. He goes, it's really important that you get a degree. So you have our full blessing to do music for the rest of your life if you get a degree. And so instantly I said, okay, what does that look like right now? You know, and my bonus right. mom went to Belmont and she went to Belmont. And so I started looking into Belmont because I knew I wanted to be in Nashville because I knew I wanted to start doing music as soon as I graduated. And I found that Belmont um, had a songwriting program, like had a major that was a songwriting program. And I was like, if I'm going to spend four years in school prolonging my dream, <laughs> I'm going to go do music. You know, like it made so much sense to me at the time. And then I did it and I was like, I need 12 years to grow up actually between high school and like really going for it. So college right. is such a beautiful cushion, you know, to do that. Nonetheless, find the loophole that I promise you. And my dad and I had that conversation. He did not intend for me to get a songwriting degree. You know, it was more, it was probably more his line, which was smarter, which was advertising and marketing because that's what songwriting is. You know what I mean? It's yeah. a business. But no, I dove right in that loophole and went right into music in a, you know, in an education setting. That's awesome. And now you made that deal that you would get your education before starting a career. But during your time at Belmont, you did have the opportunity to play Bluebird and the Opry before you actually graduated. So how did those opportunities come about before you even had music out, before you were actually really an artist? Well, like anything in life, you know, if you really care about it and it's a business, make a contract. Dad and I didn't have a contract. <laughs> so I kind of made up my own rules a little bit about what does doing music look like? And then what is just Allie literally doing music? You know what I mean? And since I played back home and since my first or since my first singing job was in Oklahoma, I gave myself two years at Belmont to really focus and to put my head down and to do my work and to do my stuff. And then right around my junior year, um, I got the opportunity to just start playing, you know, cover gigs again, which is exactly what I did at the barbecue shop. Right. Um, and I got the opportunity to start doing that. So I did. So I started playing on the weekends and it, it didn't affect my schooling and it didn't affect anything like that. And I did start like a Facebook page where I was posting originals and posting covers, but, um, I wasn't spending time recording and I wasn't, you know, actively doing that. I was just really trying to own the craft so that when I did graduate, I was ready, you know, and it wasn't going to be right. two years after I graduated. It was going to be, Hey dad, degree, boom, music, that's <laughs> right. you know? And so all of that to say, I started playing at this beautiful bar called scoreboard um, here in Nashville. I played there for almost six years. It was kind of my residency here and it was amazing. And um, it brought a lot of really cool opportunities. And so through scoreboard, I met a lot of people that would then book me at the Bluebird. And so I did get to play there. And then oh, I did okay. get to play, like you said, I did get to play the Opry stage um, twice, I think, before I graduated. One was Steve Bridgman, um, which is a very kind man that wanted me on a duet with him. And he was singing a duet at the Opry. So I just got to go and sing the duet with him. And then another one was a, a, um, a tribute to Dr. Ralph Stanley. Um, who is a songwriter that wrote a lot of um, sync placements and a lot of things. And so I got to go and, and play for that as well. So I've, I've never had like my Opry debut or anything like that. Right. Um, but I have got to be on that stage and I have got to play there. So I kind of just found that middle ground, worked really hard. And I did set my boundaries because at Belmont, you literally get free recording time as a songwriting major if you work with audio students to book the sessions. You know, like if everyone oh, okay. works together, you get free opportunities at Belmont. Right. But as a songwriting major, I can't book the studio. I have to have an audio one or two major book the studio. So it forces you to work together. You know what I mean? Um, and I did that once. And I literally then sat in my room for four days, never went to class and just thought about recording. And was like, okay, this <laughs> is a boundary for me. Like, this is 100% something I, I really do need to wait until I'm done with which right. I kick myself for all the time because that was free recording time. <laughs> but no, I would not go to class if I was doing it. So I drew that boundary. So I did find, you know, ways to coexist with the promise I made to my family. And then also, um, you know, have a job and own my craft and all that stuff. So I graduated in 2018 of May mm -hmm. and then in 2019, and then went on the road for a year doing still cover sets, but um, 
uh, all around Tennessee. So all through Kentucky and Alabama and Tennessee and, you know, those kinds of things. Um, and just bar sets and that kind of circuit and, and played my originals and found out what people liked and what they didn't and what okay. I cared about between those two. And um, then 2019 summer, you know, I released my first song and uh, have just been going since. Yeah. And when you graduated Belmont, I wanted to ask you on Instagram, you had your graduation photo and then the caption was kept my promise. Now it's all about you. And I wanted to ask what that meant. Let's go. <laughs> Let's go. You know what I mean? Right. I would not, I would not have been there. I, so I have, I have this thing called narcolepsy and I fall asleep all the time and I can't help it. I literally just, just fall asleep. Oh, wow. And so that is really, really hard in an academic setting. That's really, really hard to read. If it takes you two hours to read two pages and you have a 700 page textbook, you know, it, right. it was really, really challenging. School was really challenging. And that was really frustrating for me because I was always such a good student up until, um, this thing that just happened to my brain when I was a senior in high school. And all of a sudden my academics just on paper looked terrible and it was so tough. And so that also was a huge insecurity for me because my family intellect and education is very, we're very proud of that. You know, we're very proud of the education that we have and that we're able to have and receive. And so when my academic on paper looked bad and lazy, that really affected me. So as much as I love those four years to grow just socially as a person and in a protective environment, you know, like a dorm. And like, I was away from my family. I was 600 miles from home and I was safe. You know, I was with good people and, and kids like me that were doing music, all weird music kids grew up in a town with no weird music kids, went to a college of only weird music kids. Right. It was awesome. You know? And so I think for me, it meant like you at the time, because it was on Ali Colleen music Instagram, right? So it's on my music page. So yeah. you isn't me, you is them. You is the people that love my music and that have waited for my music and that have supported me all through college and all those things, because I did have a very big following when I came out already in the sense of what I thought was. So now it was all about them. Now I was like, Hey, I've done my work. I've, I've kept this promise. I've worked my butt off. I'm ready. Now it's about you guys. Like, let's go you and me for the rest of my life. Like my fans, my people that care about me and support me music wise, my cool kids. That's what we're called. My fan yeah. base is all called cool kids. So the you and that, in that statement was, was them and the people that have supported my music and that were excited about my music, you know, and that kind of thing. Um, and our relationship is still going really, really well. Best one I've had yet. That's awesome. And now since knowing you wanted to do this from such a young age, you get to 2019, you've graduated, you can now move on to your career and you release your debut single, Work in Progress. Now you talk about that year of touring, working out your music, seeing what the fans like, but when you got to the point of picking your debut single, what is that like after all these years of dreaming about this and then having to have one song that says, here's who I am? It was a lot and it was really daunting. And it was for the first time that I felt an outside pressure of let's see what she knows. You know, I, I think it's always been a default in this town and around anyone that knows me who does find out that I do have a musical family background. Like, oh, you know how this works. You right. know, oh, you've been here before. Oh, you've seen this happen. I grew up on a huge piece of land in Oklahoma. Like, I know the world knew who my family was, but I didn't really realize that. We were literally just farm kids that played sports. Like you said, sports was very important to my family as well. I played soccer from five until I graduated and then continued to play like just intramural stuff, you know, through college and, and we were a sports family. So I was like, this is a whole new world to me. I don't know what I'm doing. I don't know what music I'm going to want to put out a year from now, but I know what I love right now, you know, and I'm very proud of what I'm writing. And so when we settled on work in progress, that was really it. You know, if, if uh, the first thing I want you to hear from me with all your presumptions and even the people that have no clue who I am in any kind of way, I want you to know that. I want you to know from the most genuine part of me, I have no clue what I'm doing. I'm a work in progress, you know, but I believe in what I'm doing right now. I am smart enough to have pre-planned and to have done all the work and, you know, to take into account whatever you can take into account 
in this business. You know what I mean? In the sense of like concrete sureness. Um, and then just went with, yeah, I want you guys to know that I'm the best I've ever been, but not the best I'll ever be on this journey to me. You know, and that's the whole chorus of work in progress is just like, I'm getting there. And like, I'm way better than I was yesterday, but God help me if I'm not better tomorrow than I was today, you know, that's always the goal. And I think that was really the first thing I wanted anyone to know about me was as much as you think I'm a prodigal child that knows everything and got to sit back and watch everyone figure out a formula for me. That wasn't the case. I'm right. a work in progress. Still am right now. I hope I am when I'm 75, you know, it's just, if you're not, I don't know what you're doing because perfection, I don't know what happens after it, but it's either really boring or it's literally nothing. And the journey to it is really, really cool and challenging and awesome. And that journey towards your debut album, which you released in 2021. Now, 2020, was that a blessing heading into that album or was it difficult? Because I mean, if 2020 didn't happen, you likely would have been grinding. You likely would have been playing as many shows as you could, trying to get your music out there. But having the opportunity to slow down. I mean, it was probably slower than you would have liked, but having that opportunity to slow down, did that allow you to craft a different album than you would have if things wouldn't have slowed down? Do you think? 1000% I do. I really do. I, I know 2020 took a lot of things from a lot of people, um, me included, but the, the, the gift of that year really was the isolation for me. And and in a sense, a different kind of pressure, because like you said, we would have been different. We signed on with a booking agency, December of 2019. Oh, and so okay. for the first time, so I had done all my booking myself with a very close friend of mine who helped me with everything um, up until that point. And we'd done really well for ourselves, but again, they were just bar gigs. We'd never broke into an Alley Colleen show. I was still asked to play majority covers at all my shows and those kinds of things. And so when we signed on with this booking agency in 2019, 2020, had the most amazing tour schedule ever, you know, and I right. still haven't had that. I still haven't got that back yet because 2021 was only the venues that were kind enough to consider rescheduling in the sense of they're also rescheduling all the huge acts. You know what yeah, I mean? So exactly. for me, it's like, we, we never even heard her play. We don't really care about rescheduling her right now. You know what I mean? We're right. literally in a pandemic. We're figuring it out. So like you said, I would have been on the road that year constantly and probably done what I was encouraged to do, which was a single at a time and that kind of thing. And instead, you know, sitting in isolation and writing and writing and writing, and then also having, because I wrote at Belmont constantly. So having right, yeah. over three years of songs that I was trying to pick through and sort through, I was like, I'm, I'm, I'm literally six years away right now from releasing the song that I will write tomorrow if I do this four to six week, one song at a time algorithm that everyone's encouraging. And I don't want right. to do that because as a songwriter, songs can save lives. And, and, and this town is literally the town of, you know, bones. Like this town has millions and millions of songs that are amazing and life-changing that literally nobody's ever going to hear. And that's just how it is. You know, like yeah. that's just, that's just how it is. But with that said, I had some songs that I could not, not give a life to. And I just kept piling up and piling up. And so that was a really encouraging moment for me in 2020 was, well, now you're a year away from releasing your one songs at a time, you know, and also you're sitting here, you're doing your lives, you're doing all these things. This is the, if, if there's ever a time right now where someone can listen to 12 songs at one time, it's right now, you know, and it's, yeah. it's this time. And opposed to the crazy lifestyle that we all live where our attention span is one song every five to six <laughs> weeks. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, when it comes to seeking out music. So I think it was so encouraging. And so whatever to do that. And so as soon as we could get into a studio in January of 21 um, and do the full session thing, we found a studio that would allow us to come in with masks and appropriately be safe and still do two full tracking days of 12 songs. And, um, just wanted to give them a life. And then that also fed into the release process that I decided to do, which was the album came out physically in April of 2021 mm -hmm. to where you could buy the CD off my website in full everything. And like a CD, Oh my gosh, you talk <laughs> about people not encouraging an album. 
they did not encourage CDs. I bet, <laughs> I, yeah. You know, so I was like, oh, just keep telling me what not to do. And damn, that's what we're going to do. So just <laughs> quit, just quit. <laughs> so we, we did that. And that was just a very kind, you know, kind of almost financial cushion for the year for my close fan base to come buy CDs. Cause I didn't expect a lot of people to, and, and to help us cushion that, maybe make some money back from the recording process, which was so expensive since we didn't have shows yet, you know, with it still being a pandemic and all that stuff. Yeah. Um, we only ordered 500 units. Thought that would, you know, last us the year of touring kind of thing. Uh, we sold out on the first day <laughs> and it was so wow. encouraging and it was so kind and it was amazing. And so then I was like, crap, we have to print more CDs <laughs> and, and it was awesome. But then to say from that, then digitally, I did respect the algorithm and I did do a song every five to six weeks for the whole year until Black Friday when the whole album came out on streaming. And so I'd never seen the formula done like that. I can't say that it didn't work because it did, you know, yeah. but I, I can't say that I can't say that it would work for everybody. I don't know, but I'm, I'm very proud of, of how, how it did work. I anticipated having to teach a younger audience what to do with a CD in the sense of, you know, don't, don't scratch it, bro. Like it will not play, <laughs> yeah. you, you know, those kinds of things exactly, that maybe yeah. just they didn't think of. Like, obviously I knew they knew where to put it, but like, don't scratch it, man. Like it's, you can't, uh, mine right now does not play track eight or nine. Oh really? My CD in my car. <laughs> and I love it. I'm obsessed. I'm absolutely obsessed that I cannot listen to my own track eight and nine because I scratched my CD. And I think that's so cool. But all that to say, I ran into the opposite problem. I'm having to teach adults where to find a CD player. So that has <laughs> right. been really exciting because I guess everybody got a new car in 2020 and they don't have yeah. CD players anymore. So good for those people, I guess. But man, it's been really, really interesting and really challenging and, and really, really rewarding to have done the full album. And I think you're right. I don't think it would have happened that way if 2020 wouldn't have pressured me into just want a different mindset. But also, I need to do this. And you mentioned having the CD in your car. Now, I heard you talk about Don't Give Your Heart to a Cowboy, where there's a little pitch check that was left in that you didn't know was left in until you sort of had it in your car and were listening to the finished product. Now, within that, I wanted to ask about the insecurities that come with music. In that time, when you're listening to this finished CD, this finished product, are you sitting there with a very critical mind listening to this? Or do you allow yourself to sit back and just take it in and not let those insecurities push forward with every little thing that you're listening to? I think it, it, it depends on obviously what it is, you know, that you notice, like, that's a huge thing. But like you said, with don't give your heart to a cowboy. When I heard it, I don't know what it was, man, but it was Christmas morning. Like I could not wait to go on to my really close fan base page, which is like a private, we have a private fan page. Um, okay. That's a very intimate thing. And, and all that to say, it's like through Facebook supporters, it's only private because it's, it's like a subscription thing. And I just don't expect a lot of people to pay. So we maybe have, you know, 70 people that are on this private thing. And those are the people that I couldn't wait to go to and go, Hey, I know you've listened to don't hear like, don't give your heart to the cowboy a thousand times. Listen to the end of it where I'm literally humming for no reason. <laughs> and it's really not noticeable because I noticed it. I noticed it months after, you know, the CD was printed. Like it's not right. that noticeable, but just because I remembered that moment in the studio, just that one overdub moment where that happened, I knew what it was. Now, as of recently, I've been listening to Playing House. And God help me, if I don't sing Drowning, I put a D on Drowning. <laughs> I'm so mad at myself and who didn't notice it and didn't tell me, bro, that's not a word. I'm singing <laughs> drowning. Ah, so I think it really just depends on like what it is. Oh. Um, but also at the same point in time, so proud of it. I don't care, you know, and never in my life has all the comments been, well, you're singing drowning. You know what I mean? Like no one else is really noticing. I don't think. Yeah. Either. Um, same thing with pink lemonade. She sings a blue collar boy. I didn't notice, but I sing collared, like collard greens, like a blue collared, 
I was so annoyed with that at first. And then everyone was like, you literally can't tell. You just know that you put the ED on it, but like, you can't actually hear it. And I'm like, I'm still so stupid though. Like, I'm so dumb. So I think it depends what it is, but I have gotten, I'm, I'm actually very good at, at giving myself leeway sometimes just because I do know that I, I actually am genuinely very talented. So if I mess up a word in a song and that's what you focus on, if you base my whole performance off, oh, she messed up that word while yeah. she's running around making eye contact doing whatever like bro you're better you're just better than i am i literally everything <laughs> obviously and rock on uh, teach me something i don't know <laughs> and the one song that you have on the album blame it on the weather that's the one song that you wrote on your own with no co-writers so what does it mean to have a song on the album that is just yours because from what i see that doesn't happen a lot most songs are co-written so to have one that's truly your own what does that mean well again being the the weird music kid right as we all were in our towns you don't have anybody else to write with you know so you you write by yourself and that's how you learn to write and that's how you do it and then if you're fortunate like me to go to belmont and go to a school of music then all of a sudden you are writing for the first time with other weird music kids who have always wrote by themselves so with all that to say you're writing with these kids that have brought a writing style that's a thousand percent their own opposed to moving to Nashville at whatever age and not doing the academic side, but going straight into rights with other writers that have been, you know, maybe writing for a while, you're really just going to adapt more so, you know, than you are going to create for a while. And, and I think I was very lucky, you know, to have fallen in love with writing so early to have had my own style, but then when I came to Nashville and Belmont, every writing assignment for the first year was co-writes. Right. They wanted you to work together so bad. But at the same point in time, I, I do fear that it was a little discouraging of writing by yourself to where for a while I thought, I can't even think of a whole storyline by myself, you know? And so that was a big challenge for me with Blame It on the Weather was to just sit down and write and like find out what is Allie going to write about for a whole song, you know, and no one else gets to like, impact the storyline and no one else gets to impact my verbiage. And no one else gets to tell me that I said it too pretty. Just make it make sense. No, I, this is how I write and I want to write it. And so that's what I did. And so with Blame It on the Weather was also really spooky for me too, because I was in a relationship at the time and with someone who didn't do music. And so anytime there was a subject matter that I was writing about, that was kind of like, why are you thinking about things like that? It was, wasn't me, it was Kelly my co-writer, she wanted to write this song about this. You know what I mean? Like she was thinking about this past relationship and what she learned from it. And what, you know, blame it on the weather. I didn't get to do that. That was a full, really heartbreak song, you know, that I had to just sit here and be like, no, I was just thinking about it. And, you know, and, and just found those kinds of things. So in a way it was really pressuring, but I think that's why it's so rare. I mean, outside of the business of publishing and like making sure, because if people aren't making money off you, you're not going to make money. That's just, right, it doesn't yeah. make sense that way. You know, so in, in a business sense, that's why there's always so many writers on songs and so many whatever, because you need that many people to show that many people the song and get it cut as a songwriter and those kinds of things. But right. for me as an artist, I do have that privilege to get to cut my own thing. Um, and as exciting and as encouraging as it was, it was also really scary for me. Because also, if you know that I wrote that song by myself and you don't have a songwriter brain, you're automatically putting a lot of weight on my relationships, you know, and, and on my current lifestyle and all those things, which in the, at the time, what really happened was I saw an interview um, and I don't even know who it was. It was just like one of those like blocked, you know, moving picture interviews with right. um, someone in the middle of a rapping scene. And I don't know even what the question was, but just the font on the photo was, man, don't, don't tell her she deserves better. Just be better, you know? And I was like, that's, that's enough for me right now to just start writing whatever that is, you know, and to land on the chorus of don't say she deserves better. Just be the man that she deserves, you know, like, or just take ownership that you're just not it. You know what I mean? But it's like, I hate the verbiage of those kinds of things. And it was very encouraging and obviously in the relationship I was in at the time, I was able to explain that. And they understood like, oh, well, that's why you wrote this really aggressive kind of breakup <laughs> song in the middle of this very kind relationship. 
And I don't know that people think about sometimes like the social pressure that writers really do throw themselves out there and do because, you know, people that don't write songs are maybe like, well, you couldn't have just came up with that. That had to have been something that you lived, you know, or something that you're currently living. And that isn't the case most of the time for me. I'm usually always writing outwards about right. other people and things that I'm seeing. So I think that was the big thing with Blame on the Weather being the only song that I wrote with myself was I was worried, I think, of what the social um, opinions and social assumptions would be as to why I wrote that song. And even just in the time between putting the album out and now, um, I've kind of realized like, nobody really cares that much. They're just listening to the song, you know? And in a way, I'm so glad because now I'm just so encouraged to just write music. You know what I mean? Like, write music. I get in my head so much about so many things. Right. Write music. Because all I do get back on Blame It on the Weather is people's personal stories about how they needed Blame It on the Weather. You know what I mean? Never once has someone been like, are you unhappy? (laughs) No, they're always, it's always inward for listeners and that's what it should be. And that's again, what you mean in that, that college post, it's about you guys. Like I want to spend the rest of my life writing songs that people need. And a lot of people have needed blame on the weather. And I think it's amazing. That's awesome. And on the songwriting side, you have a song like playing house. You mentioned that's a song that you're listening to a lot right now. Now with that song, I heard you talk about, it was an idea that you had had for like years before it actually came to fruition. And so what is it like as a songwriter to have this idea and maybe it doesn't take traction with your other co-writers and it takes a while to get it done? Like, is that something that you have to be really good at internalizing is saying, I have this great idea, but then it doesn't catch on and being able to like not get down and be like, oh, they don't like my idea, but to just keep it there and realize, okay, this isn't a song for today, but eventually this will be a song. Um, I think obviously in the beginning, you know, it was very easy to be in my head about, man, I clearly didn't bring any good enough ideas today because we didn't write my idea, you know, but then, then you do it more and you realize if, if I have a note in my phone, of 2000 song hooks. So do the other two co-writers in the room. You know what right. I mean? Like we're, that's how our brains work. And so I've learned over time also, you know, cause for a while I really did wear a songwriting hat in the room, like having not released music yet and maybe released a song or two. Um, I was still a songwriter most of the time in the rooms. Now, when I go into rights, I'm usually the artist. Like I'm usually seen as the artist and I'm normally asked first before anyone else, is there anything you need? you know, because everyone's looking for cuts and they need cuts and they need songs that are going to be used. Um, And so I've learned over time as an artist, if I come into a room and I suggest an idea, they're honestly probably going to say, yeah, let's write it. Regardless if they care a lot about it or not, just because it is a business and they're going to make sure that they cater to what I, my vision and, and write the best song that they can for me, you know, but I've learned over time if I just walk in and I'm like, well, these are things I'm thinking about, but like I'll put them out there and then I want to hear what you guys brought. That really allows a space for me to say something like playing house and for them to go, ah, I don't know. That seems like it's, you know, a little too aggressive subject matter, you know, for me to write on. But if you really want to do that today, we'll write it. And as soon as I hear that, it's no, 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 that's okay. Because I knew playing house was meant for somebody. And I knew that playing house needed writers that cared about it, not writers that were just going to write it. And so I was very lucky, I think, to have a lot of songs shot down in that sense over the years and to learn from that to where I did get to take playing house in. And the moment I brought it into the right with Billy and Jason, I said, Hey, you know, I have this idea. I've thrown it out a lot of times. It never really grabs. I, I do care about it a lot, but again, you know, it is what it is. And this is it. And they both just look at me like, we care so much about this. Can we write it with you? And like, that's the only way the playing house turns into playing house. Right. You know, make me a man was exactly the same thing. There's this beautiful song on the album called make me a man that we released for mother's day. And it's for all single parents. And obviously for me, it's for my mom because I got to grow up and watch my dad be in this beautiful, amazing relationship my whole life where they literally fall in love every single day and they're (laughs) perfect and they're kind and they love each other. And it's amazing. And I always wanted that for my mama. And I never saw that for my mama as a kid. 
Um, she has an amazing relationship now. Never saw that. So that morning before I went in for a write, I kind of did just like a submission prayer. And I was like, I know there's something going on, man, that I need to write about. And I don't know what it is. And in the next 20 minutes, I had the first verse um, leading into the course and make me a man. And I loved it. And I cared about it so much. I was very emotional. And I took it to Eric that day. And I know Eric so well, Eric Dodd. And he's such a good friend of mine. And we wrote so many songs together, including Don't Get Your Heart to Cowboy and things like that. So that was one of those days where I did go in and I said, hey, I care about this. And if I play you this front, this first verse and you don't crumble like I did when I wrote it, I'm going to keep this one, you know? Right. And that man crumbled and we wrote the most amazing sweet song. So I think because of instances like playing house where I did take a hook that I cared about so much for years into rights that nobody wanted to write with me. I'm so grateful for that because now I looked at all my songs and more of a God, I hope this idea is good enough today for somebody. Now it's man. I hope that the right writers showed up at this right today, you know, to write this with me. And I think, and I really encourage writers that care about, you know, certain subject matters to, to really look at it that way, because um, I'm very proud of the songs that came out on this album. And I'm, I'm more so, so proud of the writers on this album. Not only are they amazing writers, but they're really good people and they really care about what we wrote about. And that means a lot to me. That's awesome. And so on a whole, with what this album means to you and being able to release it as an album, like you say, not as, a, as an algorithm, but to release it as an album. How has it sort of changed your outlook on your career and how is it shaping up the next couple of years of how you view, view this career? Is it different than how it would have looked if you would have just followed the algorithm and released single, single, single? Did you read my journal? <laughs> no, I'm in I didn't. A, I'm in an existential life crisis right now about this. Because I've learned, I think before the album, it really was an algorithm. It really was, what's the next song to put out that's going to be playlisted, that's going to get this many streams? Could I go viral on TikTok with this song? Could I do this? Could I do that? Now that I've put out this beautiful album, where some songs did get more attention than others because of how we released them streaming wise, you know, right. but with, with putting out this song and the streaming number differences between stuff like blame on the weather and does every heart to a cowboy and all these things, there's not a single song on this album that I haven't received a personal message about that is very moving and very reassuring that that person, even if it's the only person in the world needed this song. And in reality, Right now, for me, that number actually looks like, okay, only 10,000 people needed this song. That's such a stupid thing to say. I can't imagine 10,000 people being in my living room right now, clapping for blaming on the weather. You know what I mean? Like that's, yeah. that blows my mind. And I, and I understand, you know, business-wise and all that stuff, it's not the revenue stream that makes money, but that's 10,000 people that heard a song that they tell me saved their lives. So it's like, now I, now there's, now I want to release every song on the planet because if it gets five streams, that's five people that needed that song. You know, when I think about album cuts that saved my life and that made me do this and that encouraged me when literally nothing else could. And who is that artist to keep that from me if they created it, you know? And, and, and I think that now going forward, it's like, okay, where are my eggs in 2022? Are they in the big management company that might get me on an opening tour and noticed by labels and get me singles that are streamed on all the top editorial playlists and really do that? Or do I really rock this independent artist life for a long time where I'm spending all the money out of pocket, also taking in all the money into pocket, and really making whatever I want music-wise, because there's a lot of songs on this album that if someone else had a say in it, wouldn't have you know, seen the light of day. Right. And coming up, I've started writing by myself again a little bit. And I've got some wonky things, because when I write by myself, <laughs> it's weird. I have this weird song called Scared Snakes right now. And oh, I know, I know that like, it's really, really cool. And it gets such a cool reception, like from like on a live from live audiences. I'll play it tonight in my round and all these things. But um, 
it would never be chosen, you know, by, by a, a business strategic, you know, uh, thing, unless yeah. obviously it went viral somewhere and they're like, Oh, it's the best song ever. Yeah, exactly. So, you know, blah. so uh, yes, it completely did. It completely restructured what I thought releasing music looked like. And now, you know, I, I mentioned this before, I felt years away from releasing new music before I even put the album out because I had so many songs, you know, loaded up that I, that I cared about and that I had loved. Um, and so now going forward, you know, it's, we're in this new year and I just had, you know, a debut album come out in November and I am now sitting here knowing a hundred percent what my next five singles are. And if I do that algorithmically, that's September or November of this year. You right. know what I mean? Yeah. And I'm about to enter into a whole year of writing. And I don't want to do this anymore. I don't want to always feel so behind. So I'm very encouraged now to just release the music, you know, give the people the music. And I don't know if that's business smart. And I think that's obviously a big, a big battle that I'm having right now between my creative side. And then also just the logistic side of you did enter into a business, Al. So, you know, what are you going to do? And, and, and I'm, I'm excited to find out what I'm going to do. And one last thing I wanted to ask you about, you talk about the business side and sort of how things are changing within the industry. One of the first songs that you ever released acoustically on Instagram after you graduated was Raining on Broadway. And that is a song that talks about sort of how the industry is changing from back in the day. And I wanted to ask you if that's still a song that's sitting there for the right time to release it, or if that's something that's been left in the past, because it's very relevant now, like more than yeah. it was in 2018. It's even more relevant now. Um, Brendan, do you play guitar or anything? I do, I play the drums. You I'm play, a drummer. Okay, you play the drum. Okay, so um, I wrote it with um, Hunter, very very talented Hunter Nelson, and we uh, er, and we uh, he wrote it. Ha! He played it in Gad Dad, which is an altered tuning. That I don't know how to play. <laughs> and so that song makes me so mad because I forgot how to play it a couple years ago. And I sit down with it all the time to figure it out. And God help me how many voice memos I've sent for Hunter being like, I need you to teach me again how to play this song. <laughs> but yes, 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 yes. A hundred percent. Raining on Broadway was a hundred percent because of, you know, just listening to the radio and listening to what was being chosen over you know, it wasn't. And I think when you're just a commercial listener and when you're just someone who just takes in music and, and you're not a part of the business side and you're not a part of, you know, what it looks like, especially in Nashville, nonetheless, you know, in, in a really contemporary setting and commercial setting, you don't know the songs that you're not hearing. You know, you right. just know the songs that you're hearing. You just know the songs, you just know the food that you're given. And, and I think that's a really disheartening thing for a lot of us here in Nashville is we know what you're not being given. And, and it's, it's everyone. And I, I don't put down any kind of music ever. You know, there's a type of music for everybody. And obviously there's a reason that truck, truck, beer, beer, drink, drink, skirt, skirt, short, short. There's a reason that works. People like it, you know, and, yeah. and I like it too. I party to it as well. You know what <laughs> I mean? But then on days when I need stuff, like don't close your eyes. And when you say nothing at all, and even the occasional goodbye Earl, you know, killing them with, 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 with passion, not just killing them to kill them, but killing them for a good reason, you know, like silly stuff, but important stuff. Like, I don't think you should have to go search because we don't do that as people. I mean, I get so frustrated with the listening audience and I think about, well, what have you done this week when it comes to music? Went to Apple, went to the one song you've played 1200 times this week, created a station from it, hit play and didn't actively listen. Yeah. I get it. You know, I totally understand, but, um, I think, you know, things like raining on Broadway, that's what it was about. It was, you know, I'm, I'm walking up and down the street. I'm playing on the street that makes the music of one, this side of the country, but two, our greatest export as a country. And there's no nourishment in it. And there's nothing like to sustain people that need their lives saved by music. If you want to party, here you go. But if, if you're depressed or if you are going through something or if you've lost somebody or if you have no self-esteem or if you have any of those things, I don't really know that there's a lot of music commercially being played that's going to help you. And I think that's where Raining on Broadway came from, where I was in the city. I love so much. 
that I've dreamt about and it's not serving me and it's not allowing me to serve the people that I moved here for. And, and I think that writing on Broadway 100% has a lifeline for me somewhere. Um, if I can learn how to play it, <laughs> I need to get back out there and play it again. Honestly, I needed to send a work tape to my guitar player and he can learn it and I could just sing. But yeah. um, yes, I love that you've heard that song. I, I haven't heard that song in quite a long time and I'm now going to go listen to it as soon as we're done with this. <laughs> Thank you once again so much for listening and thank you to Ali for stopping by and sharing her story. Be sure to check out her debut album, Stones, wherever you stream your music. Please also be sure to check out our brand new website, countrymusicmademe.com. You can listen to episodes, you can learn more about the podcast and please sign up for our newsletter so you can stay up to date on all the exciting episodes that we have coming up in the future. Once again, thank you so much for listening and we'll see you next time on Country Music Made Me.